Chapter twenty three of the Expedition of the Donner Party and its Tragic Fate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Donna Stewart, Seattle, Washington. The Expedition of the Donner Party and its Tragic Fate by Eliza P. Donner Houghton. Chapter twenty three. Reaping and Threshing a pioneer funeral, the homeless and wayfaring appeal to Mrs. Bruner, return of the miners, social gatherings, our daily routine, stolen pleasures, a little dairymaid, my dogskin shoes. Reaping and threshing were interesting events to us that summer. Mission Indians, scantily clothed, came and cut the grain with long knives and sickles, bounded in small sheaves, and stacked it in the back yard opposite Grandma's lookout window, then encircled it with a rustic fence, leaving a wide bare space between the stack and the fence, which they swept clean with green branches from live oak trees. After many days, Mexican drivers brought a band of wild mares to help with the work. A thick layer of unthreshed grain was pitched on to the bare space surrounding the stack, and the mares were driven around and around upon it. From time to time, fresh material was supplied to meet the needs of the threshers, and at given signals from the men on the stack, the mares were turned out for a short rest, also in order to allow the Indians a chance to throw out the waste straw and to heap the loose grain on the winnowing ground. So they did again and again, until the last sheaf had been trodden underfoot. When the threshing was finished, the Indians rested, then prepared their fires, and feasted on the head, feet, and offal of a bullock which Grandpa had slaughtered. Like buzzards came the squaws and papooses to take what was left of the food, and to claim a share from the pile of worn-out clothes which Grandma brought out for distribution. Amid shouts of pleasure, gesticulations, and all manner of begging, the distribution began, and when it ended, our front yard looked as though it were stocked with prize scarecrows. One big fellow was resplendent in a battered silk hat and a tattered army coat. Another was well-dressed in a pair of cast-off boots and one of Grandma's ragged aprons. Georgia and I tried to help to sort the things as they should be worn, but our efforts were in vain. Wrong hands would reach around and get the articles, and both sexes interchanged suits with apparent satisfaction. Grandma got quite out of patience with one great fellow, who was trying to put on a petticoat that his squaw needed, and rushed up to him, jerked it off, gave him a vigorous push, and had the garment on his squaw before he could do more than grunt. In the end, they went away caring more for the clothes that had been given them than for the money they had earned. Before the summer waned, death claimed one of our own brave women, and immigrants from far and near gathered to do her honor. I do not recollect her name, but know that she was tall and fair, and that Grandma, who had watched with her through her last hours, told Georgia and me that when we saw the procession leave the house, we might creep through our back fence and reach the grave before those who should walk around by the road. We were glad to go, for we had watched the growth of the fresh ridge under a large oak tree not far from our house, and had heard a friend say that it would be a heavenly resting place for the freed sufferer. Her family and nearest neighbors left the house afoot behind the wagon which carried the plain redwood coffin. 
at the crossroads several fell in line and at the grave was quite a gathering a number came in their ox-wagons others on horseback among them a father afoot leading a horse upon whose back sat his wife with an infant in arms and a child behind clinging to her waist and several old nags freighted with children were led by one parent while the other walked alongside to see that none should lose their balance and fall off no minister of the gospel was within call so after the coffin was placed upon the bars above the open grave and the lid removed a friend who had crossed the plains with the dead offered a prayer and all the listeners said amen i might not have remembered all these things if georgia and i had not watched over that grave when all others seemed to have forgotten it as we brought brush to cover it in order to keep the cattle from dusting themselves in the loose earth we talked matters over and felt as though that mother's grave had been bequeathed to us grandma had instructed us that the grave is god's acre and that it is a sin to live near and not tend it still no matter how often we chased the cattle away they would return we could not make them understand that their old resting place had become sacred ground about the middle of october eighteen forty eight the last of the volunteers were mustered out of service and shortly thereafter the excess of army stores were condemned and sold ex-soldiers had preference over settlers and could buy the goods at government rates plus a small cost of transportation to the pacific coast grandma profited by the good will of those whom she had befriended they stocked her storeroom with salt pork flour rice coffee sugar shipbread dried fruit and camp condiments at a nominal figure above what they themselves paid for them this was fortunate for the hotel was still closed and the homeless and wayfaring appealing to grandma easily persuaded her to make room for them at her table the greater the number the harder she worked and the more she expected of us although we rose at dawn and rolled our sleeves high as she rolled hers and like her turned up our dress skirts and pinned them behind under our long belt aprons we could not keep pace with her work nevertheless we were pleasing reminders of little girls whom she had known in her native village and she was proud of us and had two little white dresses fashioned to be worn on very special occasions after they were finished we also were proud and made many trips into the room to see how beautiful they looked hanging against the wall under the curtain marvelous accounts of the extent and riches of the gold diggings were now brought to town by traffickers in provisions for mining camps this good news inspired our homekeepers with renewed courage they worked faster while planning the comfort they should enjoy after the return of the absent the first to come were the unfortunate who sought to shake off rheumatism lung trouble or stubborn low-grade fever brought on by working in the water sleeping on damp ground eating poorly cooked food or wearing clothing insufficient to guard against the morning and evening chill few had much to show for their toil and privation yet not disheartened even in delirium they clamored to hasten back for the precious treasure which seemed ever beckoning them onward when wind and weather drove them home the robust came with bags of gold rolled in their snug packs they called each other lucky dogs yet looked like grimy beggars with faces so bewhiskered and clothing so ragged or so wonderfully patched that little children cried when they drew near and wives threw up their hands exclaiming for the land's sake can it be 
yet each homecomer found glad welcome and messengers were quick to spread the news and friends gathered to rejoice with the returned now each home-cooked dish was a feast for the camp fed to contrast with their fare at coloma wood's camp and sundry other places where flour rice shipbread and coffee were three dollars a pound salt pork and white beans two dollars a pound jerked beef eight dollars a pound saleratus sixteen dollars an ounce and salt sugar and raisins were put on the scales to balance their weight in gold dust where liquor was fifty cents a tablespoon and candles five dollars each it was not the prices at which they complained but at the dearth of these staples which had forced them home to wait until spring should again open the road to supply trains the homeless who in the evenings found comfort and cheer around grandma's table would take out their treasure bags and boxes and pour their dust and grains of gold in separate piles to show the quality and quantity then pass the nuggets around that all might see what strange figures nature had moulded in secret up among the rocks and ravines of the sierras one roman catholic claimed as his choicest prize a perfectly shaped cross of free gold which he had cradled from the sands in the bed of a creek another had an image of the virgin and child a slight stretch of the imagination turned many of the beautifully fretted pieces into miniature birds and other admirable designs for sweetheart brooches the exhibition over each would scrape his hoard back into its receptacle blow the remaining yellow particles onto the floor so that the table should not show stain and then settle himself to take part in relating amusing and thrilling incidents of life in the mining camps not a window was closed nor a door locked nor a wink of sleep lost in those days guarding bags of gold hands off was the miner's law and all knew that death awaited him who should venture to break it heavy purses made willing spenders and generous impulses were untrammelled nothing could be more gratifying or touching than the respect shown by those homeless men to the pioneer women and children they would walk long distances and suffer delays and inconveniences for the privilege of passing a few hours under home influences and were ever ready to contribute towards pleasures in which all might participate there were so few young girls in the community and their presence was so greatly desired that in the early winter georgia and i attended as welcome guests some of the social gatherings which began at early candlelight and we wore the little white dresses that were so precious in our eyes before the season was half over heavy rain was followed by such bitter cold that all the ground and still waters were frozen stiff although we were well muffled and grandma warmed us up with a drink of hot water and sweetened cream before starting us out after the cows the frost nipped at our feet until the old scars became so angry and painful that we could scarcely hobble about the house many remedies were tried to no purpose the most severe being the early foot-bath with floats of ice in the water it chilled us through and through and also made grandma keep us from the fire lest the heat should undo the benefit expected from the cold so while we sat with shivering forms and chattering teeth looking across the room at the blazing logs under the breakfast pots and kettles our string of cows was coming home in care of a new driver we were glad to be together even in misery and all things considered were perhaps as useful in our crippled condition as before for there was enough to keep our hands busy while our feet rested 
Grandma thought she made our work lighter by bringing it to us, yet she came too often for it to seem easy to us. First, the six brass candlesticks with hoods, snuffers, and trays had to be brightened, and next, there were the small brass kettles in which she boiled the milk for coffee to be polished inside and out. However, we did not dread the kettles much unless burned, for there was always a spoon in the bottom to help gather the scrapings, of which we were very fond. But when she would come with a large pan of dried beans or peas to be picked over quickly so she could get them soaked for early cooking, we would measure its contents with critical eyes to make sure that it was not more than we had had the previous day. By the time we would get to the bottom of the pan, she would be ready to put before us a discouraging pile of iron knives, forks, and pewter spoons to scour with wood ashes. How we did hate those old black knives and forks! She said her sight was poor, but she could always see when we slighted any. The redeeming work of the day was sorting the dried fruit for sauce or pies. We could take little nibbles as we handled it, and knew that we should get an extra taste when it was ready for use. And after she had put the upper crust on the pies, she would generally permit us to make the fancy print around the edges with a fork, and then prick a figure in the center to let the steam escape while baking. Sometimes she received a dollar apiece for these pies, and she had so many customers for them, and for such loaves of bread as she could spare, that she often declared the farm was as good as a gold mine. We were supposed not to play with dolls. Consequently, we durst not ask anyone to step around and see how our little house in the back yard was weathering the storms, nor how the beloved nine in it were getting along. Though only bottles of different sizes, to us they were dear children, named after great personages whom the soldiers had taught us to honor. The most distinguished had cork stoppers for heads with faces marked on the sides. The rest, only wads of paper or cloth fastened on the ends of sticks that reached down into the bodies. A strip of cloth tied around each neck below the bulge served as make-believe arms suitable for all ordinary purposes and, with a little assistance, capable of saluting an officer or waving to a comrade. We worried because they were clothed in fragments of cloth and paper too thin for the season, and the very first chance we got, we slipped out and found our darlings in a pitiable plight. Generals Washington and Jackson and little Van Buren were mired at the foot of a landslide from the overhanging bank. Taylor, Webster, Clay, and Benton had been knocked down and buried almost out of sight. Martha Washington's white shawl and the chicken plumes in her hat were ruined, and Dandy Jim from North Carolina lay at her feet with a broken neck. Such a shock! Not until we realized that everything could be restored was our grief assuaged, that is, everything but Dandy Jim. He was a serious loss, for he was our only black bottle, and had always been kept to wait on Martha Washington. We worked fast, and had accomplished so much before being called into the house that we might have put everything in order next day, had Georgia not waked up toward morning with a severe cold, and had Grandma not found out how she caught it. The outcome was that our treasures were taken to the storeroom to become medicine and vinegar bottles, and we mourned like birds robbed of their young. New duties were open to me as soon as I could wear my shoes, and by the time Georgia was out again, I was a busy little dairymaid and quite at home in the corrals. I had been decorated with a regulation salt bag, which hung close to my left side like a fisherman's basket. I owned a quart cup and could milk with either hand, also knew how to administer the pinch of salt which each cow expected. 
After a little practice, I became able to do all the stripping. In some cases, it amounted to not more than half a pint from each animal. However, much or little, the strippings were of importance and were kept separate, because Grandma considered them good as cream in the cheese kettle. When I could sit on the one-legged stool which Jakey had made me, hold a pail between my knees, and milk one or more cows without help, they both praised my cleverness a cleverness which fixed more outside responsibilities upon me and kept me from georgia a longer while each day my work was hard still i remained noticeably taller and stronger than she who was assigned to lighter household duties i felt i had no reason to complain of my tasks because everybody about me was busy and the work had to be done if i was more helpful than my little sister i was also a source of greater trouble for i wore out my clothes faster and they were difficult to replace especially shoes there was but one shoemaker in town and he was kept so busy that he took a generous measure of children's feet and then allowed a size more to guard against the shoes being too small by the time he should get them finished when my little stogies began to leak he shook his head thoughtfully and declared that he had so many orders for men's boots that he could not possibly work for women or children until those orders were filled consequently grandma kept her eye on my shoes and as they got worse and worse she became sorely perplexed she would not let me go barefooted because she was afraid of snags and ensuing lockjaw she could not loan me her own because she was saving them for special occasions and wearing instead the heavy sabots that she had brought from her native land she tried the effect of continually reminding me to pick my way and save my shoes which made life miserable for us both finally she upbraided me harshly for a playful run across the yard with courage and i lost my temper and grumbled i would rather go barefoot and get snags in my feet than have so much bother about old shoes that are worn out and no good anyway i was still crying when hendrick a roly-poly hollander came along and asked the cause of my distress grandma told him that i was out of humor because she was trying to keep shoes on my feet while i was determined to run them off he laughed bade me cheer up sang the rollicking sailor song with which he used to drive away storms at sea then showed me a hole in the heel of the dogskin boots he wore and told me that out of their tops he would make me a beautiful pair of shoes no clouds darkened my sky the morning that hendrick came wearing a pair of new cowhide boots that squeaked as though singing crickets were between the heavy soles for he had his workbox and the dogskins under his arm and we took seats under the oak tree where he laid out his tools and went to work without more ado he had brought a piece of tanned cowhide for the soles of my shoes, an awl, a sailor's thimble, needles, coarse thread, a ball of wax, and a sharp knife. The hair on the inside of the boot legs was thick and smooth, and the colors showed that one of the skins had been taken from the body of a black and white dog, and the other from that of a tawny brindle. As Hendrick modeled and sewed, he told me a wondrous tale of the great North Polar Sea, where he had gone in a whaling vessel, and had stayed all winter among the mountains of ice and snow. There his boots had worn out, so he had bought these skins from queer little people there, who lived in snow huts, and instead of horses and oxen, used dogs to draw their sleds. I liked the black and white skin better than the brindle, so he cut that for the right foot and told me always to make it start first. And when I put the shoes on, they felt so soft and warm that I knew I could never forget Hendrick's generosity and kindness. 
the longer i wore them the more i became attached to them and the better i understood the story he had told me for in my musings they were not shoes but spot and brindle live eskimo dogs that had drawn families of queer little people in sleds over the frozen sea and had always been hungry and ready to fight over their scanty meals at times i imagined that they wanted to race and scamper about as happy dogs do and i would run myself out of breath to keep them going and always stop with spot in the lead when i needed shoestrings i was sent to the shoemaker who only glanced up and replied come to-morrow and i'll have a piece of leather big enough the next day he made the same answer come to-morrow and kept pegging away as fast as he could on a boot sole the third time i appeared before him he looked up with the ejaculation well i'll be damned if she ain't here again i was well aware that he should not have used that evil word yet i was not alarmed for i had heard grandpa and others use worse and mean no harm nor yet intend to be cross so i stood quietly and in a trice he was up had rushed across the shop brought back two round pieces of leather not larger than cookies and before i knew what he was about had turned them into good straight shoestrings he waxed them and handed them to me with a remark tell your grandma that since you had to wait so long i charge her only twenty-five cents for them end of chapter twenty three recorded by donna stewart seattle washington